Well, I don't know how many of you might sort of uh, be fans or maybe might say history buffs, know some American history, but in the movie Gettysburg, there is a scene fairly early on, General Robert E. Lee, Confederate general played by Martin Sheen, longtime actor, is in his tent. It's essentially his command center. And officers are coming in and out of the tent with different information about things. And General Lee is kind of beside himself at one point. He is saying, where is Colonel Stewart? He wants to know where Jeb Stewart is. Because Jeb Stewart leads Lee's cavalry. And he even goes on to say, when Stuart finally arrives, I mean, he dresses him up and down. And just says, where have you been? You are the eyes and ears of my army. And at a time of the Civil War, that was certainly the case. They didn't have advanced intelligence. And so it was up to that cavalry because they could move swiftly where foot soldiers could not. And they could, they could cover a lot of ground in a much quicker amount of time. And they could find out where the enemy is and come back and report. And that's what Lee, why Lee was beside himself. He's like, I've amassed this army, but I don't know where my enemy is. In Second Chronicles... Many of you will recall that after the death of Israel's third king, Solomon, God's people become divided. The time of the divided kingdom begins. And there are two kingdoms. In the north there is Israel. In the south there is Judah, where Jerusalem is. And in the north there are no good kings. Now you might ask, what does that mean, no good kings? Does that mean they were just not good leaders? Not good communicators? Not good planners? No, because in the case of God's people, the kings were supposed to guide the people spiritually first and foremost. And so to guide the people spiritually, it simply meant that they should be following God's commands that they should be following God's precepts. And so the kings in the north, not one of them does that. In the south, it's not a whole lot better in Judah. There were, over the history of these kings, about five that were considered good in God's eyes. In other words, they didn't worship the Baals, which this is a collection of foreign gods, a collection of false idols. And so uh, there was one named Asa that was good in God's eyes. We read that and in, in uh, opening verses of Second Chronicles 17 that now Asa's son Jehoshaphat is king of Judah. And that Jehoshaphat does what his father did, that he follows the commands of God. Now, like a lot of us, he fell short. Because he was supposed to take more measures to eradicate idolatry from the southern kingdom. And so he did a lot of good things, but then, like a lot of us, 
he didn't follow through. He wasn't quite thorough enough. And so there was some idolatry. There were some of the what they would have referred to in Scripture as the, the high places. The places where they would put up these pagan altars and people would gather there for pagan worship. But we find this scene in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. It would be akin to someone coming and saying, there is a group of peoples off in the west. Those peoples in Savannah and Parsons and Lexington. And they have banded together and they want to attack us here in Hohenwald. And furthermore, they have already crossed the river. And if that's not enough, they're already this side of Linden. So in other words, Jehoshaphat didn't have the intel. He didn't have the intelligence. It would have been nice to know that, hey, king, there's been some meetings going on between these kings over here in West Tennessee. And so that would have tipped him off that, hey, maybe there's an alliance being formed and I need to get together with some folks and maybe make a little peace offering before they have a chance to wage war. Or if war is the only option, then maybe I can amass my own army and head their direction and engage in a preemptive strike. But no, none of that has gone on. And so Jehoshaphat gets the news that in his case, it's the people in the east. And some of them have banded together and they said, hey, we're going to go and we're going to attack these people in Judah. And furthermore, they're already on this side of the Dead Sea. And furthermore, King, sorry to tell you, but they're just down the road. Now, in our lives, we're probably not going to be kings, right? We're probably not going to have to worry about a group of people in the east or the west, the north or the south of us, banding together to attack us. But we certainly are going to have some trials, aren't we? We already have in our lives. If you haven't, consider yourself very fortunate and blessed at this point. The question becomes, how do we respond to bad news? Where do we turn? Let's look in 2 Chronicles chapter 20 at what Jehoshaphat did. Beginning with verse 3. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord. And he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard and said, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in it and have built in it sanctuary for your name, saying, If calamity comes up on us, 
whether the sword or judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress and you will hear us and save us. But now here are men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance. Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. All the men of Judah, with their wives and children and little ones, stood there before the Lord. What a scene that must have been. Jehoshaphat standing there, depicted in this artwork, Raising holy hands to God. Praying before the people. Jerry just this morning prayed for the leaders of our nation as Holy Scripture encourages us to do. And he used that term, wisdom. Jerry, we couldn't have planned it better, brother. Because this is about wisdom. There is a verse in Proverbs. The first time I read it, it wasn't even in the Bible. The first time I read it, it was actually in Forbes magazine. In the back of the magazine, there was a quote, and it was in every issue. With all thy getting, get understanding. And I never understood for some time that it was actually from Scripture because it was from the King James and I wasn't using the King James. But I will say that the King James does have uh, what I, the, the, the translation of that verse in Proverbs 4 that I like best. It says, wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And with all thy getting... Get understanding. Some translations say things like wisdom is supreme and even if it costs you everything you've got, do whatever it takes to get wisdom. And so I asked this morning, church, <clears throat> what is the source of wisdom? Well, normally we think of someone who's wise. They tend to have a bit of age on them. Because there seems to be wisdom that comes with age. It comes with experience. Now, that doesn't mean that just because we get older we get wise. But if we remember what has happened in the past and we learn from our mistakes and we can pass that guidance on to someone else, then generally we might be seen by some as someone who is wise. Or sometimes you've heard people say they are wise beyond their years. Meaning that for someone no older than they are, they sure have amassed an impressive amount of wisdom for their young life. 
But we as God's people, where does the source of wisdom come from? Is it not from God? I mean, Jehoshaphat, when he gets word, King, it's rough. Not only are they coming after us, but they're just down the road. They're at our doorstep. Now, Jehoshaphat knows that he doesn't have the numbers. If he marshals all his troops and he, he realizes he doesn't even have time to do that. But even if he marshaled all the troops and got everyone together that was available, that there would still not be enough time to prepare for this battle. Some years ago, we were at Winterfest. And they had this theme that went on for three consecutive years. And they had a group of people that did a skit. Some of you all might remember that. And so every year, we would come back and they would continue the skit. And it was really interesting to watch how this skit unfolded over the course of three different trips to Winterfest. And I remember in the skit... There was a youth minister and some people that were playing the role of teenagers in his youth group. And they got word at one point that somebody was in a terrible accident and that they had been transported to a local emergency room. And I remember in that skit, I thought it was interesting, the youth minister said, because the, the teenagers come to him and said, let's go, we've got to get to the hospital. And he said, no. He said, there are people there that can help him. What we need to do is stay right here for a while. We need to do, what do you think, church? Pray. Yeah. It's like, hey, we get to the hospital, what are we going to do? We're going to sit in a waiting room. We're going to wait for news. We're going to be helpless. We don't have medical degrees. We're not nurses. We're not going to be back there tending to this person we care about. But if we take some time to get on our knees right here, we can do then everything that we can possibly do on their behalf. We can pray. Because that's exactly what Jehoshaphat does. He says, you know, it's bad. And he says, Lord, you're the one who gave us this land. It's up to you to make sure that we stay in it. And he could pray that prayer. Because he was someone who was faithful. And that's part of the challenge of prayer, isn't it? It requires a great deal of anticipation. It requires us to wonder when we pray, what's God going to do? What's God going to do? Because in a time like this, God's going to do something. Not sure what that's going to look like. But God's going to do something. 
It requires a great deal of anticipation. For three consecutive years some time ago, I was able to fly out to Los Angeles, rent a car, and go up the coast a little ways in Malibu to Pepperdine University to attend their annual Bible lectures. I hope to get back at some point. It is one of the largest gatherings in the Churches of Christ. And it is a blessing. I know you hear the term lectureship and, boy, that just sounds boring, right? I mean, let's be real. No, it's a lot of classes. It's a lot of classes on varied topics. Uh, Each time slot, you might have 18 to 20 or more choices of classes to attend. And there is worship in the late morning and there is worship in the evening. You gather in that field house where they play basketball at Pepperdine University. And uh, for those that have been to Winterfest, I like to call it, you know, Winterfest for grown-ups, okay? But I remember my first ever trip to Pepperdine. Now, I knew that it was in Malibu. I knew that Malibu was on the coast, that it was a beach town. And so I knew that at some point I would be seeing the ocean on this little journey. And you fly into Los Angeles International and it's a big old airport, as you would imagine. One of the biggest in the country, I'm sure. (coughs) And they're, they're kind of... Uh, in a need for space. So you don't have, the the rental car places are not on the airport grounds. They don't have space for that. So you have to catch your shuttle and go off somewhere. And so where I went is right across the street from this kind of Los Angeles landmark, Randy's Donuts. And you know that feeling you've seen something in pictures or on television all these different times and then you finally see it in person. You know, an 8th grade trip to Washington, D.C. for the first time. And man, there it is, the Washington Monument. It's like, man, I've been seeing this all my life in pictures and on television. And now there it is. How cool is that? You know, the Lincoln Memorial, and you're like, man, pinch me. Am I really here? This is, man, that thing's big. You know, it's just, and it's just sort of this awe and wonder that you have. And that was kind of the feeling for me coming through this tunnel because you get your rental car and then you're out there uh, you're out there on the streets. But before I even left, Randy's Donuts, and it's, it's, as you would imagine, it's a place that has donuts. No mystery there. But they've got like this 20-foot donut sitting on top of the building. And that's what makes it kind of unusual. And I'd seen this place in all kinds of different pictures and on television shows that were set in Los Angeles. And it's like, man, there it is. Big old 20-foot donut across the street from me. And then I'm on the freeways in L.A. And so that was kind of, that was kind of interesting. Because, man, I mean, you know, going to Nashville, there's places where it's like five, six lanes wide. Man, in L.A., There's places where it's like 12 lanes wide. It is nutty. And I was thankful I wasn't there during a real busy time of the day, kind of early afternoon. And so I'm headed up to Malibu, but I know I've got to get over to the Pacific Coast Highway. And that's where my GPS is leading me. And you go through a tunnel, 
And then there it is. You come out of this tunnel and you are staring right at the Pacific Ocean. And man, is it blue. Oh my goodness. And so I had anticipated it. I was excited about it. But then to actually see it, it was something. Or imagine, if you will, taking a child for the first time to Disney World. Some of you know what that's like. A child, a grandchild. And even you as an adult. I know for me, when you walk through those gates, and boy, there's Cinderella's castle back there. And you're like, wow, there it is. Yeah. And you're holding the hands of that child or grandchild. And then right in front of you, immortalized in bronze, is the guy who thought it all up, Walt Disney himself, a statue of him. And he's reaching down and holding someone's hand. Who is it? It's Mickey Mouse. And you're like, man, this is cool. And as a kid, a little kid in the 70s, and I remember Sunday night, what was on TV? The wonderful world of Disney. Yeah. And there's that logo. And there's that little castle with the spires. And there's that music. Da 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 da. And then you're there. And it's like, wow. In church. That's the feeling we should have when we pray to God. We get to talk directly to the Creator of the universe each and every day. What did we do to deserve that? Absolutely nothing. And we have that privilege to enter the throne room of the Most High who spoke the universe into existence. And when we pray, we should do it with that childlike anticipation. God, this is bigger than me. But there ain't nothing bigger than you. What are you going to do next? What are you going to do with this? I'll just tell you, church, it was a happy ending for Jehoshaphat and the people of Judah. God protected them. Now, I wish I could tell you that this side of glory is all roses, but it's not. That's a reality. This is not the world that God intended for us. We have to be people, though, who are aware of from where our wisdom comes. In the book of James, in the third chapter, beginning with verse 13, James writes, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. 
For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Now, imagine you have a people who put their faith in some human entity. Like, I don't know, the United States Congress. Or the occupant of 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, the White House. Now, this isn't about who you vote for. I don't care who you vote for. You go to the polls and you vote for whoever you think will do the best job. But, it's a reminder that our Lord is Jesus, is it not, church? Yesterday, I got to gather with Christians in this community. And the microphone came to me last. And I was thinking, what positive thing can I give this audience that's gathered here to pray for our nation and our leaders? And when the microphone came to me, I simply said, if tomorrow morning they take away every one of our freedoms, it won't change the fact that Jesus is Lord. And church family, we got to remember that. Pray for our leaders. Like Jerry did this morning. What a great example of saying, God, give them wisdom. May they turn to you for wisdom and guidance. But ultimately, there's a lot of people up there in Washington that have what James lists as selfish ambition. That they're not leading with humility. So let's remember as God's people, we can vote for whoever we think will do the best job. But let's not put our faith in the U.S. Congress or the U.S. President. We put our faith in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's where our faith should be. As we prepare to close out our time together, some thoughts from my very first seminary professor, Gary Holloway. Do we live according to worldly wisdom? What passes for wisdom or common sense in our world tells us that positive thinking, self-promotion, and tapping into hidden internal resources will bring happiness, excellence, and success. Such thinking is not just out there in the world. It is taken for granted in the church. God offers us another type of wisdom, a heavenly common sense that is in direct opposition to the thinking of our age. This wisdom seeks peace, not success. It desires purity, not happiness. It shows itself in a willingness to yield to others, a sharp contrast to ambitious self-promotion. Are we humble enough to receive this wisdom from God? If so, he will give it to us. And if we receive it, this heavenly wisdom will be shown even in our speech. Church family, 
Let's be those kind of people. That's what God, the source of all true wisdom, is calling us to be. Let us be humble enough to recognize, seek, and accept His wisdom. If you are with us this morning and you are not yet a child of God, and you are not yet able to seek the wisdom that only He can provide, then we offer the invitation. We offer the waters of baptism so that you can change that once and for all. And if you're here this morning and there's something else you need to bring before us that we can pray with you about, then we will be happy to do so while we stand together and sing.